Welcome to We Hear Her. I am Erin Trenbeth Murray. And I am Jennifer Bean. We're here today with another amazing woman who's sharing her story and insights to lessons learned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to We Hear Her. I am Jennifer Bean, and today I'm here with Shima Bothman, who is Associate Dean at the University of Utah, as well as a professor of law. Yes. <laughs> oh, I want to jump right in because when we were talking before, you mentioned that you moved to the United States in the second grade without knowing any English. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? I'm fascinated to know uh, where you came from. Absolutely, yes. Uh, my family was lucky. We were one of the lucky ones to get out of Iran during the Iran-Iraq War. There was oh, a war that lasted until 1989, and my dad had an opportunity in 86 to come to UCLA to do his final year of neurosurgery residency. Oh, wow. So we were so lucky and lots of miracles along the way that allowed us to leave the country because so many people were trying to leave because yeah. there's um, a lot of death and destruction going on. We were, you know, in our basements. I remember one of my vivid memories as a child is uh, having to go into our basement and cover our, our faces with um, towels, wet towels, because at the time we thought that if Saddam Hussein had... Um, bombed us with some of the chemical weapons that that oh, would that help. you would be ingesting that yes and so we would just go down there it was like all right here's the drill go to the basement and we kind of would do this regularly every time the you know the sirens would go off okay. that there was going to be a bomb so um so we left that to come to the u.s and also kind of you know as a child i remember going to the corner store and you know we kind of got used to it but you know you'd go and you know maybe once every three weeks there's you know a kit kat to buy or something small that, that would be imported but we were getting very few imports it's kind of like any kind of war-torn country Torn country. Yeah. It's depleted right. of a lot of things. Yeah, and so we came to the U.S. and in second grade, I mean, we were all thrilled because we were in California and it's beautiful there. And we yeah. were like, this is amazing. Why, <laughs> why would we ever live in Iran? You know? Right. And so we, we went and um, we, we, you know, we got into school and knew no English. I remember going into my class in second grade and my teacher would give me a form, you know, kind of yeah. standard at school to sign. You know, give your mom this form to sign. Yeah. And I would say no. And she's like, no, take it home. You have to take it. You I have to. Like, I didn't know the yes or no. I didn't know the difference between yes or no. That's how bad my English was. I was just going to say that really yes. brings to my attention the curve. Yes. That the huge curve right. that you you had to apply right. when, when coming to this country. Yes. What are some other um, really impressive memories that you have of growing up in Iran? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, a bigger one is, I, you know, my mom uh, was a political activist and she mm -hmm. was trying to fight for democracy in Iran and her movements that way led her to be in political prison. And so for three years of my, you know, upbringing in Iran, she was in political prison. My dad is actually fighting for the government, working as a doctor for the government and is eventually able to get her out of prison. It's, that's a whole story in itself. But, wow. Um, so your, was your dad a, was single parenting you? Basically with luckily his seven siblings and my mom's mom was very helpful and her siblings as well. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. What What are some um, things that your dad instilled in you during that time? It sounds like relying on family, and was was a huge absolutely. I think benefit. I mean, he was just kind of like doing his best, right? As a single dad, I mean, he was. I think mostly really focused on doing his best to save um, people's lives because he would be on the front lines doing neurosurgeries. And, you know, his hard work as a doctor really was what ended up helping us get out because he helped treat a higher up religious leader 
who then, you know, was able to return the favor to our family. And my dad was like, actually, my, my wife's in prison and, and they were able to release her. But that was, you know, that for my dad's side, it was, you know, the hard work, kind of doing your best despite difficult circumstances. Yeah. And then on my mom's side, you know, just being externally focused, right? She was so sure. focused on her country and gave up so much. I mean, she gave three years of her own life in prison to try to fight for democracy, which, you know, never succeeded in Iran. It's still, right. we still don't have no democracy, but, um, but I, I really admire her willing, being willing to do that and not having fear. Like talk about s watching someone with your yeah. own eyes, someone very special to your family stand in that conviction. Right. And, and sort of pay for that, right. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And she's so brave. I mean, it's like, imagine the bravery. I, and you meet her <laughs> and people think when, you say, you know, oh, my mom, you know, served in political prisoner, uh, as a, was a political prisoner and, you know, did all this stuff. People think she's this kind of like tough woman and she's just like the kindest, like sweetest, most, you know, meek oh, person. And yes. she has no, you know, she's not that type of person, but she just felt so strongly that she, that this was the right thing to do, that she needed to um, try to make her country better. And I yeah. admire that so much. Oh, that's amazing. What are some other things that um, you see that you inherited from your parents and, and maybe their experience um, yeah. growing up in such a different culture. Yeah, I think one thing is, and I, you know, I'm trying to teach this to my kids, although it's harder since they do have more advantages, but I think one thing is um, hard work is way more important than anything else. So, yeah. you know, I think a lot of times we focus on kind of what is your interest or what are you talented at? And I think that that wasn't even a calculus as a child for us. Yeah, you know, all three of us, we had three daughters at the time when we immigrated. My parents insisted that we all become doctors. And the reason for that was in Iran, to be a doctor, you have to test the highest. Um, it's like they have an ACT, basically, oh, at the end of high school. Okay. And if you don't get the highest score, you can't be a doctor. You're, it's not even an option for an option. you. If, yeah. if you're interested or curious yes, or maybe right. good at like, it. Do I like science? Do I not? It's like, if you get the highest score, you're going to be a doctor. That's and, just how And it that is. determines your destiny. Yes, and people part. will choose that. And so... That's why for them, they thought, well, we can come to America, this land of opportunity. Everyone can become a doctor. And so they said, you know, all three of us needed to be doctors. And, yeah. and you know, two of us failed and became law professors. <laughs> the other's a doctor. Yeah. I love that, <laughs> you know? that it may have felt like a failure yeah, to, to be them, so successful. Yeah. yeah, but for them, it was, but that was a neat thing. It was just that they, it wasn't like, well, are you going to be good at school? Are you, you know, are you, you passionate know, you about this? You don't speak English, but yeah. you know, we, I was in second grade. I didn't speak a lick of English, but then it was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And I just believe that because they instilled that in us. We sure. have to work hard. You're going to be a doctor. And I like that mentality. I try to kind of instill that in my kids or anyone I mentor, you know, my students. Right. It's like hard work can get you a lot more than talent or anything else. That's true. That's yeah. true. What are some other life lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah. Hard work pays off for sure. sure. Um, I think another one, like just speaking of the English thing, you know, disadvantages can become your advantage. Your advantage. And I yes. think in my in my instance, you know, because I knew that my English was not as good growing up and I had to work harder than other students, I think it just yeah. made me that much better. And sure. now I think writing is my best skill in life, yeah. right? As I write as a law professor, I've written three books, a textbook and you oh, know, my really? solo authored book. Yeah. And a student treatise and criminal law. So I've written all these books because I just worked hard. And I think, you know, growing up, there were a lot of kind of failures, you call them failures, sure. you know, really it's good feedback, but um, <laughs> those failures where, you know, I'd, I'd turn in a paper, for instance, my first year as a, a summer associate at my a firm, it was Kirkland Ellis, which is coming yeah. to Salt Lake too, which is exciting, but um, I turned in a paper and I remember the summer associate gave it back to me and it was filled with red. 
Like I was looking, I'm like, is there any word Did that I Did I do wrote? anything right? <laughs> Nothing right. There was not a single word. I was like, wow, okay. And instead of being like, well, you know, she doesn't know. I was like, no, I need to get better. And just yeah. having that attitude of, you know, yes, I might have had a disadvantage, but it's becoming my advantage because I can become the best writer regardless. And right. you read stories of kind of some of the most successful people. And a lot of them come with some sort of challenge. You know, sure. I think sometimes people think, oh, because I have disability because I'm a certain race because I you know came at it later a woman, a woman. Or, yeah yes uh, you know I can't exceed uh, achieve that same level but I think sure. it actually can help us because we can be more motivated yeah I agree with you yeah. tell me about what you thought was one of your biggest disadvantages in the circumstances yeah um, I mean I think you know the the biggest one was so I you know Growing up in the U.S., my parents came over with ten thousand dollars. It was not a lot of money. Right? <laughs> you know, it sounds like no, but it's you know to buy a car and have. And so we really didn't have a lot. And so we grew yeah. up with a lot of um, difficult circumstances. I remember, you know, in third grade or second grade, we you know we had some help. We did join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And okay. They were very helpful to us um, growing up and kind of you know giving us some assistance. But um, but I remember just like you know for many years you know like we sleep on mattresses we found on the side of the road and furniture every furniture we had a piece of furniture we had it was a couch somebody, somebody else has trashed had it trashed. Yeah, and, yeah and I think of growing up that way I, I think it gives me a sort of um, sense of uh, humility and also appreciation for everything I have now I think sure gosh, like we are living this American dream I mean truly coming with nothing you know two thousand yes. dollars we bought a car it, it ran out in a year and then my parents <laughs> had to work my dad was you know, neurosurgeon driving a truck for a dry cleaners. Yes. Just to make some money to, to make right. it buy. And my right. mom, you know, worked all day when she never worked before in her life. And now she was, she was college educated, but working at dry cleaners. And so I just think the humility I gained is such an advantage in my life of just having this appreciation of like, I know, I know what it's like to have been poor and not have, I mean, relative, right? And, relative and to poverty. use it, yeah. And use it as yeah. a motivating factor. Yeah. It was yeah. really, it really motivated me to think, of, you know, I can work hard. I, I saw my parents work hard. And also with all of our siblings, there was this added pressure of, they gave up everything. They gave up a, a decently comfortable life, even though obviously war-torn Iran and we had to do hijab and there was right. a lot of choice and, and freedom, but but at least we had a comfortable state. And here in the U.S., it was, you know, just fighting for every dollar. And so, right. and then watching them kind of succeed and have that, I just think it's giving me that, that um, perspective of, you know, I know what it's like to have um, come from less and that may have felt like a disadvantage, but, but I think the, the hard work I knew, I saw my parents do yeah. help me to kind of have that path of I can work hard and achieve the same as my parents did. Right. Is there anything that you would tell your younger self now that you kind of have walked the path that you're on and have learned from your parents and, and you realize maybe um, it you shouldn't have been so hard on yourself or so driven. Any, any things that you would tell your younger self? Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe give, give myself permission. So I had a really hard time in college um, not becoming a doctor because it was the expectation. It, yeah. You're <laughs> like, so, so what if I don't? I know. Just, and it, honestly, I remember calling my parents and you think I would have called and said like, you know, I got pregnant and I flunked out of college. Like yeah. something that was like, you know, a parent might be like stressed out if you're 19 calling, yeah. but I call, you know, I'm calling them and saying, sorry, like I want to get a PhD or go to law school <laughs> instead of, and you know, there's silence on the other side of the phone. It was just, and so I wish I could have told my younger self, like, it's okay. Like you can kind of still forge your own path, even though my parents, for them, security 
was the medical profession and that was it. Sure. And so I would, you know, it would have been nice to have that perspective now and I can see so many successful people in all fields. That, <laughs> yeah, know, success isn't necessarily <laughs> defined, but it's yeah. interesting that um, their experience and their perspective was based on the the success that you can have, which is attached to the title of doctor, yes. will pull you out of any of your difficulties. Yes, and that's yeah. actually, my dad even was, you know, that was one of his points about being a doctor, is like, because he was a doctor, he was able to succeed in the U.S. Like, if he was a lawyer, it would have been difficult. He would have had to retrain. So I think for him, it was like, well, of course you should all be doctors. That will give you the most security and yeah. the most success, you know, yeah. uh, options for success. How do you define this success? Um, now it's a lot different, right? I think yeah. success to me is, um, you know, uh, using your skills and talents to, to better humanity, better your, your country, better your um, community. Yeah. I think that's how I define, you know, career success for me. And that's why, you know, I ended up doing criminal justice reform and writing about bail and police yeah. and prosecutors because I feel like, like my mom, I'm trying to, you know, live up to her. I was, I was wondering about that. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I, I, I have this soft spot in my heart for people that, um, you know, or disadvantaged in the system in any way. Sure. And, um, have been, you know, given a, a bad break possibly. And, you know, I'd love justice and fairness to be, you know, uh, established more in the U.S. as far as criminal justice goes. That's wonderful. I love that um, you've written three books. One of yeah. my dream, <laughs> dreams that I wanted, yeah. that I am chasing, is to be a published author. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what was co so compelling? What What's your favorite book that you've written oh, of the three? Definitely my bail book. So that's... Um, that was one kind of almost wrote itself. I I started writing about bail after I spent two years in um, Malawi doing oh. pretrial justice, uh, pretrial detention reform, and doing bail a lot of bail applications because in Malawi they people don't have lawyers um, unless they're charged with murder, so they oh. don't get there's no criminal any justice. lesser crime you don't yes. get the assistance right. So when I was there, uh, I was able to even with my U.S. law degree kind of help those people, other people, you know, people oh. charged with burglary, rape, all the other types of crimes. Okay, gotcha. So I filed a lot of bail applications to try to get them out. And as after that experience, when I came back to the U.S., I thought, well, what is our U.S. bail practice? And that's yeah. kind of what motivated me initially as a law professor. Um, and so I wrote this book, after, you know, based on my research from, you know, 2008 until I think it was, when did I publish that? 2017. 2017, on okay. different aspects of bail. And at the time when I was writing about it, it wasn't really talked about. It hadn't, there hadn't been a book written about bail for 30 yeah. years in the U.S. No oh, one had wow. heard about it. And maybe people still don't care. But in criminal justice now. You're like, I care. Yeah, I care. <laughs> and, and people are starting to care more about bail. And they, they've been uh, more interested. A lot of states have reformed bail, including Utah. And so, um, so that's one, the one I'm probably most proud of. Proud and it's of. my kind of solo authored book. The other ones are co-authored. But, okay. but it was neat to have a textbook too and teach my students out of that. That was my right. solo book. But my, yeah, my bail book is, the, is more, um, you know, just took so many years of research to kind of come Right. And you were so entrenched yes. in it. And I still, you know, that's kind of one of my passions is if we can get people out in that short period before a trial, it really can make a difference for them. In their for journey. Their whole journey, yes. Yeah. Wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tell me a little bit about you as a mother. Yes. Um, so I have four children. I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, um, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So oh, my, have, my. <laughs> yes. A two-year-old. Have, yes. I have a 16-year-old who happens to be my youngest. So oh. to think younger than that yeah. <laughs> takes me back to some very chaotic But times. you're probably having the same late nights I have, right? With the 16-year-old. I mean, that's... Yeah, not instead of <laughs> rocking them to sleep or making right. sure they go to bed. It's yes. making sure they get through the front door. Right. And that gets harder. I feel like it's like... 
I'm both on both ends. I'm right now you are, her, huh? And then my, you know, it's funny because my 16 year old, he's so sweet. He's like the, you know, wise, sweet kid. And um, I'm always like, instead of like, you know, you need to be home at a certain time. I'm like, hey, like, what time do you think you can come home tonight? Because he knows I'm tired. He's yeah. Like, all right, I think tonight can be 11 miles. Like, okay, like, oh, that's much better for me. <laughs> and they're sweet, but they get that it's, you know, we're juggling a lot with the four and yeah. trying to work. And Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What is what is something that you have learned from your children? Oh, man, so much. I learn every day. I think patience, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, every day, you know, just kind of practicing patience. I think yeah. there's a lot of, I read a lot of books, uh, you know, Eckhart Tolle and others. Oh, he's so good. Yes, about mindfulness and and I just think, you know, it's easier, it's easy said in a vacuum, but when you have Absolutely. children, that's really when you learn kind of like mindfulness and patience and just that, um, you know, kind of determination to live in a beautiful state of life. I right. Think that's where, where, what my kids teach me. And I think it's, I'm grateful for them because without them, it, it, it is easier to be, it you is know, just easier <laughs> probably. Patient, happy. Yeah. 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 I mean, they give you trials, which are, are good. They help right. you learn and grow. And I feel like I've grown so much from having that experience be a mother it's right the most you know important success i've ever achieved is being able to have children and i feel so blessed for that oh i i feel the same way what do you hope your children um say about you when you're not in the room how would they describe you mm, i hope just kind and loving i mean that's yeah. kind of what i'm trying to you know express for them is just you know unconditional love that i love them r- regardless of what they yes. do and that i'm here for them regardless that I'm not, you know, trying to judge them based on what they, you know, how they succeed, but just how, how kind and good they are too. Yeah. That's, that's my, you know, biggest judge of myself. And I hope that that's um, how I judge them too. And that they feel that. They feel it. They know know it. That they know it. And it exists. Yeah. That acceptance. Yeah. It has been such a treat to talk with you today. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm fascinated by uh, how your childhood has has directed the path that you're on now and and brought you um, into the law yeah. uh, industry and focus. And um, we're, we're so thrilled that you're part of Women Who Succeed and we look forward to you inspiring our work. Oh, thank you. I, it's my pleasure to talk to you and be part of this great organization. So I, I appreciate you. the opportunity. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to hear her. Join our efforts and learn more at womenwhosucceed.org. A big thank you to our sponsor, the Clark and Christine Ivory Foundation.